KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego Art Power is presenting Indian fusion band Red Bharat, mixing Indian bhangra rhythms, hip-hop, and funk music, March 23rd at the Epstein Family Amphitheater. Tickets and information about upcoming concerts and events at artpower.ucsd.edu. Diego is one of the largest scientific research hubs in the country. So who are the intrepid scientists in search of discovery, pushing the frontiers of human knowledge? This is Rad Scientist, where the scientist becomes the subject. I'm your host, Margo Wall. Today's Rad Scientist is a plant fanatic who seeks to make plants more resistant to changes in the environment. Okay, so my name is Liang Song, and uh, I'm a research associate in the Salk Institute. When I was a, a kid, and I play with plants because they simply don't run away from me, and they're beautiful, and I also sometimes love to harvest some of the nectars from plants. Usually it's supposed to be for the bees, but since I was able to harvest some flowers, so I also just directly enjoy it. So that's how it got me started. One thing about Liang that's a little unusual, she talks about plants like they're people. If we put ourselves into the shoe of a plant, and then we will see, oh, all these plant species are so amazing. They are so self-sufficient and so generous. Liang spends a lot of time thinking about plants, specifically about their DNA. So inside every cell of every living creature is a very detailed instruction manual that tells it how to function. That instruction manual, the genome, is made up of DNA. And for a long time, scientists had only read a couple pages. But by the early 2000s, they were starting to decode entire manuals for some species. Before, uh, we said they basically gene by gene, and now we can um, profile the entire genome and also even to compare different genomes. So the capacity to gain information is unparalleled. In fact, she studies the first plant to ever have its genome decoded, Arabidopsis. Arabidopsis is a cousin of cabbage and kale vegetables. Maybe kids hate to eat them, but we all know they are good for the health. It's related to some familiar vegetables, but Liang says you probably wouldn't want it on your dinner plate. I don't think it's yummy enough. Liang isn't the only scientist using Arabidopsis to study plant genetics. Last year alone, over 3,000 studies used it. Why? Well, it has a short life cycle, a relatively small genome, which means sequencing can happen quicker, and it's easy to grow in the lab. She uses Arabidopsis as a model to understand how plants deal with stressful environmental conditions, like the extreme weather conditions that may result from climate change. One big one? Drought. In the past five years, and drought is a big issue in California, and the plants need to respond and to deal with that. We look at a plant, and they look very peaceful, and they don't speak, and they don't usually they don't move. If these plants could talk, they'd probably be screaming. I'm so thirsty. It's so dry out here. But instead, they use a special chemical language. Arabidopsis makes this hormone called abscisic acid. So, uh, plants have hormones. Plants have hormones. 
And this one is basically like the Paul Revere of hormones. It travels through the veins of the plant, sending a message to the rest of the plant tissue. The British, I mean, the drought is coming. Hey, leaf. Hey, stem. Hey, roots. It's really dry in here. So that in turn affects the gene expression. The plant starts turning on and off genes to start or stop the production of new proteins. Maybe the plant wants to stop making that new leaf to save energy. Or maybe it wants to grow new roots to capture more water. And that's what Liang is really interested in. Can we use genetics to improve the way plants deal with drought? To try to answer this question, Liang tests tens of thousands of plants. And all of those plants live in a small windowless warehouse lit up by fluorescent bulbs. I enter to find a magical green paradise. Hi. Hi. I just got a visitor here. She wants to see our plants. And I say we have, yeah, we have plenty of them. <laughs> oh, cool. Thousands of small green-leaved plants with tiny white flowers. We grow about 20 plants and for an experiment. Basically, she wants to use them to figure out which genes are being turned on and off when the warning hormone rides by, signaling tough times ahead. <laughs> then she has to figure out what these genes are doing. We play with the expression level of each, these genes. We can either have them express more or express less and to see whether there's a change of phenotype at the plant level. Phenotype is some outward change that you can see on the plants, like seed number or leaf size. In her first large experiment, she found a group of six similar-looking genes that, when turned on, made the plant worse at dealing with stress. Wait, that's not what Liang wants. So the logic is, like, if we increase the expression of these genes and they are more vulnerable to the stresses, and then maybe if we go the opposite side, if we decrease the expression of the genes, uh, then they will be more resistant to the stress. Liang has a pretty good idea of which genes might be important for drought resistance. And because a lot of these genes are also found in many fruits and vegetables, her research could have a big impact on farming. There are many ways to improve plants. By characterizing all these plant responses at the molecular level, we understand which genes are the most important ones. And we can do the targeted breeding, focusing on these genes to stack all the, the good features together. And that's when our conversation inevitably ends up on the hotly debated subject of GMOs, or genetically modified organisms. We can sell fear more uh, easily than selling hope, right? I have always have two things bear in mind, and one is the the crop or the plant production, and the other is the environment. And the, the argument I make to myself is the more efficient we make our plants and our crops are, and the more land we can preserve for the wild species. One thing is pretty clear. Liang is passionate about her science and how it can benefit the earth and mankind. But she also cares about her research subjects, the plants. I talk to my plants. <laughs> Which brings us to this episode's Moment of Xenopus. Dialogues with a plant. How do you feel like growing here? 
would you feel if I ask you to donate a leaf to me? <laughs> What's your favorite day? My favorite day? Uh -huh. Sunday. <laughs> Turns out plants only respond with dad jokes. I just think you guys are the ultimate introverts. You keep all the secrets to yourselves, and only the most curious human beings can probably uncover a small part of your secrets. Rad Scientist is produced and edited by me, Margot Wall, with original scores and editing help from Grant Fisher. Shayla Farzan is script editor. Logo by Kyle Fisher. This program was made possible by the KPBS Explore program, bringing local content to the radio. At KPBS, Emily Jankowski is technical director. Melanie Drogseth is program coordinator. Jill Linder is programming manager. Nate John is innovation specialist. And John Decker is director of programming. Additional music was by Blue Dot Sessions, Fool Boy Media, Dave Gertzman, and Symphoid. Also, a shout out to Jackie Sajiko and Daniel Potter for feedback on this episode. Oh, and of course, a shout out to the plants interviewed in this episode. Thank you for contributing to science and also to human food to all the entire human society. <laughs> hey, do you know a rad scientist? If so, email me at radscientistpod at gmail.com. And you can check me out on Twitter at radscientistpod. Until next time, stay rad. KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego Osher Lifelong Learning Institute, hosting an open house to learn about the upcoming classes and seminars, member benefits, and meet the volunteer leadership team, Saturday, March 30th. Registration at extendedstudies.ucsd.edu slash O-L-L-I.